Give it up, baby. I've studied all your moves. Yeah, study this! <laughs> What's good, everybody? Welcome to the Forbidden Technique Podcast on the Fightside Podcast Network with me, your host, Silas Martin, my co-host, as always, Christian Reynolds. And this week, UFC's coming back across the pond to the land of the MMA natives with generic, well-rounded games who live and die by the left hook. It's UFC London, headlined by a heavyweight bout between Tom Aspinall and Alexander Volkov. Tom Aspinall, pretty promising prospect at heavyweight from the UK. A pretty good athlete with a well-rounded game and seems to have a good eye for the sport. And the way he was talking, it sounded like he wanted some matchmaking that was going to allow him to develop as a prospect a little bit more. Not that he isn't confident in his abilities, but mostly he's got a long time because he's very young for a heavyweight. Uh, But they need a main event in London, so he's fighting Alexander Volkov. So Christian, what do you think about Tom Aspinall's skill set and do you think that this is too much too soon for him? Uh, well, firstly, I do think it is a bit too soon. Uh, I can, can kind of work back from that. I, I think that Aspinall is definitely a, a pretty serviceable skill set for where he is at, and he, he seems to have a good starting point. But he, he definitely needs more time to kind of mature into his style before I think he'd be ready to win this matchup. He's He's got a, a pretty decent jab. He, he works his knees into his elbows pretty well. He's serviceable in the clinch, uh, he, especially on exits. He has like the classic British guy thing of being able to fuck people up on exits and just generally being acceptable in the clinch or any, any guy from that gym, at least. Uh, he's very fast and his cardio seems to be able to hold up, but it's going to be weird seeing him over five so soon. I kind of think he needed like two or three more fights before I would want to see him uh, in this matchup. But if you're going to give him someone around the rankings that Volkov is at it. Volkov's the best guy to give it to him because you know it's a winnable matchup for Aspinall still, but it is going to test him skill set wise and physicality wise. Because if he can't really pass this test, and I don't see him passing many of the other tests physically, but it also may just be a little too soon, and he may just get outskilled and kind of outworked over the course of five rounds. And we haven't seen him tire, but we also haven't seen him go over five. And we've seen Volkov get tired, but normally in really exhausting fights where he's getting wrestled a lot and fights that are going long. So it it seems like it is too soon, but tentatively. He very much could outperform. I'm more excited for the recap for this fight than I am to actually preview it because it seems like there's going to be more to talk about the fight afterwards once we kind of know more about Aspinall. Because so far, he's he fucked up Arlovsky really well, which was impressive, of course. But, you know, he was supposed to. Whereas this one's actually a step up for him and hard to win. Well, yeah, even then he had some troubles with Arlovsky and hurt him early, but like showed that he maybe doesn't have great finishing instincts if people don't just collapse instantly and kind of maybe did tire himself out a little bit, but showed to his credit that he's able to switch things up um, and that he actually hit a really nice takedown on Arlovsky. The submission seemed a little too easy like at that point. Arlovsky was just like, oh, fuck this. I can't keep up anymore. Um, 
but it definitely shows just his, his well-roundedness. He'll always go for takedowns if he thinks it's the play and it's something that generally works out for him. But then against Sergei Spivak, he clearly showed urgency about keeping it on the feet. And as you say, always uh, just like framing off to to land offense on exits, knocked him out with a really cool like elbow off of a knee in the clinch. And it also just shows that he can compete physically in the division because Sergei Spivak, for all of his problems, um, is just a pretty, pretty big, strong, physical guy. Um, like Greg Hardy's not good, but he's like athletic as fuck and a former NFL player and walks around at like 300 pounds. And Sergei Spivak just like threw him through the air, no problem. Uh, Tom Aspinall, he's a little bit in the mold of the fatty with the fast hands. Like has a frame that like maybe he could be making light heavyweight, but is one of these guys who does well outworking people by having better cardio and like really quite remarkable hand speed for for such a heavy guy. But he also has like just enough actual raw physical power to back it up, which is often the problem for guys in that kind of mold at heavy uh, at heavyweight. And then Volkov, um, just a, a very consistent tall guy striker gives a lot of people just trouble with his frame and physicality at heavyweight. You know, he's he's very tall and long and works behind straight long range shots, tons of jabs and front kicks. He's generally a serviceable defensive grappler, but really seems a little too easy to be able to put off of his game if you can establish a grappling threat, even by guys like Marcin Tabora. Um, but he'll make adjustments over the course of a fight and he will figure people out as the fight goes deep, and he'll get tired, but he'll keep finding second wins. So it, it seems like a fight where Tom Aspinall is poised to win really hard, really early, and not quite be able to get it done and just fall apart down the stretch, not because of anything that I think is wrong with Tom Aspinall, just because he's a young heavyweight being put in a, what seems just like a tough stylistic matchup to be able to win consistently over five rounds, because Volkov's really hard to finish, if you don't hit like Derek Lewis, which not many people do, and he's he's just going to hang around. I don't know if Aspinall is going to be able to neutralize him in the later rounds in the way that like someone like Cyril Garn was. And I think he can establish a grappling threat, but I don't know if he's venomous enough from top position to really get Volkov worried about that as the fight goes deep. Like even Curtis Blades, the late in a five round fight, started looking pretty ragged and. Volkov's kind of started to build into that fight, but just the difference in the level of wrestling technique meant that Volkov was never actually quite able to find the big moments because he himself isn't like a a single strike knockout finisher. But he'll do a lot of attrition and he'll stay in there. So I think I'm seeing Volkov by like a fourth or fifth round TKO. Yeah, I'm going to pick the same, uh, which I'm going to pick either fifth or fourth, whichever one you don't pick. But I do think that it's it, like the matchup intrigues me a lot. I, I'm excited to watch it. I, although I do think it, it just kind of lends itself better to post fight analysis rather than pre fight because we haven't seen Aspinall over five in the UFC. And we just haven't seen much of him at all because we've mostly just seen him blowing guys out. You know, we've had to see more than like from, from like a Rosenstruck <laughs> to be able to like un- understand how his game actually functions if he's not just immediately killing someone with whatever offense he feels like throwing out there. But I mean, this is what happens at heavyweight. You you, you don't really get like coherent prospect development tracks where, where you see guys have to figure things out 
it's normally just like, oh, this guy's pretty good. He's going to fight for a title in his first like 12 fights and then burn out really quickly. This is, this is just this is how it goes. So in the co-main event, we've got Dan Hooker moving back down to featherweight to fight Arnold Allen, which is honestly a move that I really don't like for Dan Hooker. He made a lot of improvements when he moved up to lightweight, and it's always kind of hard to tell with those things how much of that is due to just not making a ridiculous weight cut anymore. Some of it's almost always part of taking strength and conditioning more seriously as you're bulking up in a new division. Uh, Often just having more time to spend on skill development because you're not constantly just keeping your weight in check. But I don't know that any of the things that he's run into problems with at the top end of 155 are going to be any better for him down at featherweight. Honestly, just move up to welterweight because welterweight sucks and Dan Hooker knocked out Gilbert Burns who challenged for the title at welterweight not that long ago. Oh, but he's fighting Arnold Allen. Arnold Allen, a kind of a southpaw back foot jabby neutralizer does a lot of um, fighting the lead hand from Southpaw to set up his offense. He has okay ring craft, and he can wrestle a bit if he needs to. Um, it's going to be a real theme on this podcast that I kind of alluded to in the intro of uh, the UK becoming the land of MMA natives where everyone is just completely obsessed with being well-rounded. Because in a way, that I think me and Ed kind of talked about this a few episodes ago, Fighters who get Rory McDonald brain and think, oh, well, I just need to get good at boxing and jujitsu and Muay Thai and wrestling and just go out there and do MMA and I'll just be the best. And it really does seem to be something that a lot of gyms in the UK have taken to heart as like training philosophy. And I think we're seeing a lot of fighters who just focus on having a well-rounded skill set, but not pushing strategic advantages. To an extent, that's Arnold Allen. But I thought he, I thought he looked uh, generally improved in the Sadiq Yusuf fight. He kind of lamed it out towards the end, but it seemed like he was figuring out a little bit more how to create more significant moments of offense that could seal him rounds while having that kind of more defensive back foot neutralizing style. Um, but it just seems like a really rough kind of thing to try and do against Dan Hooker. Because Dan Hooker's big problem is mainly people who can uh, really aggressively wrestle him or really dynamic athletic hitters who can push him back and, and pressure him. Um, and even then, who's beaten him with grappling recently? Uh, Islam Makachev and Dustin Poirier kind of used it to seal the late rounds in a fight where he'd already kind of broken Dan Hooker by having an insane war with him that probably only Dustin Poirier could have survived. And Dan Hooker's pretty creative and dangerous if you're just going to let him move forward on you. And he can jab a southpaw and has plenty of his own ideas about how to set up good offense from open stance. So um, if he's still there, I kind of think he's going to knock Arnold Allen out. What do, you, what do you think? I think you've covered most of the important points of the fight, but uh, it's definitely worth noting that this fight is similar to the main event in that it's hard to get a read on pre-fight and probably going to lend itself better to post-fight analysis because we don't really know where Dan Hooker's at, and we haven't seen Arnold Allen against someone with the same frame and like physical attributes that Dan Hooker has, at least not in a long time. And Hooker hasn't fought anyone really similar to Arnold Allen recently. So it's, it's going to be weird to see how the fight shakes out. I think I'm going to pick uh, Arnold Allen by decision, 
to outlast Hooker over the course of three rounds, and then eventually Hooker starts to kind of look ragged in the third round, maybe. Weight cuts can often hit you in the cardio, and we don't know if Dan Hooker is going to look good because he hasn't fought at featherweight in so long. But if he looks in good form, the size advantage should play a noticeable factor. He will often just try and ride out good chunks of rounds in the clinch if he thinks he's up. And Dan Hook is very dangerous in the clinch and could compete there physically with guys like Paul Felder. So I don't think there's going to be a safety zone for Arnold Allen. And I don't think just taking the back foot against Dan Hooker and exchanging jabs and kicks with him is uh, necessarily the best idea and unless you have a good bit more authority on those jabs and kicks than someone like Arnold Allen does. So there's some X factors around where Dan Hook is at, but I think it's a, honestly a pretty good matchup for him. Yeah, and one last bit about the, the weight difference that I, I want to mention is that Hooker isn't particularly fast, even at lightweight, and now he's going back down to featherweight to be slower than people that are much faster than him. So I think that it could be annoying. Yeah, this is a part of why I thought lightweight was just better for him. I agree. Because particularly, he gets most of his finishes done with single-shot counters, and it, it just seems like he was seeing those counters better when he was fighting bigger, slower guys. And his reactions looked a lot better at lightweight. It, I feel like more so than any skill change, the biggest difference he had at lightweight was just seeing things better. He he didn't get cracked while not even paying attention to what his opponent was doing because he was kind of labored for most of his featherweight run. But if the weight cut works out, he is going to enjoy that noticeable frame uh, advantage against a lot of people in the division. Like I could see him being pretty difficult for uh, maybe not the guys in the immediate like top five, but he, he could be pretty annoying for every guy from rank like 13 to five, assuming that he can actually make featherweight reliably and feels good there. So I'm excited for the fight, and there's going to be more to talk about after. Okay, and then so Paddy Pimblett is fighting Rodrigo Vargas. Um, they're just trying to get Paddy Pimblett some more highlights, obviously. Uh, kind of surprising to me that he's coming over with so much hype and presumably a pretty good contract. You'd think they'd want to get him in some high-profile matchups. Uh, but he's getting a bit of a soft touch. He already fought Luigi Vandramini in his UFC debut. Didn't exactly make it look easy. Um, but Rodrigo Vargas is just uh, pretty slow, pretty limited, pretty plodding. Doesn't have a ton of ideas in any phase of fighting. You might crack Paddy Pimblett because Paddy Pimblett has dog shit defense, but this really seems to be set up to be a bit of a showcase. Yeah, we definitely have to mention that Vargas could have some success landing on the feet, but Pimblett should have like a market speed advantage and he seems very willing to just exchange with people that are less physically imposing than him well and even if Vargas is landing on Paddy Pimbler, he just I just think he's going to have much the same issue as Luigi Vandramini where uh, Vandramini was cracking Paddy Pimbler up with left hooks had him like really shaken up but with, would just like start going for takedowns and would just be like backing off and and resetting when he had Paddy Pimblett hurt. You know, just just MMA fighter shit. And it just gave Paddy Pimblett a bunch of space and time to get back into the fight and realize what he needed to do. And to his credit, he did. Like he started making some adjustments to 
to uh, get Vandramini where he needed him to to like close him down and fuck him up against the cage. And when he had him hurt, he, you know, he didn't make the mistake that Vandramini did. He swarmed on him with a ton of ugly ass punches and got the finish. So yeah, probably that's going to happen again. Yeah, I'm going to pick Paddy Pimblett by first round KO. I'm going to say late first round. I am going to pick Paddy Pimblett by uh, DQ win because Rodrigo Vargas illegally needs him. Hell yeah. Love that energy. And before we move on, just find it necessary to remind everyone that Paddy Pimblett got completely outclassed by Julian Orosi in Cage Warriors and uh, won one of the most flagrant robbery decisions you could ever see. Yeah, not relevant to the matchup, but we must spread our propaganda at any given moment. Always be prepared for a Rosa propaganda. And then uh, Gunny's back. Gunnar Nelson has been out for a good few years now. Uh, I think we're seeing a lot of these fighters coming out of the woodwork now. Guys, who's if you're ever like, man, why hasn't Gunnar Nelson fought for like three years? And it's like, oh yeah, because there's been a global pandemic. Gunnar Nelson's not an idiot. And he's just like, oh yeah, I'm not. I'm not going to go to Las Vegas to fight at the Apex. That's fucking stupid. I'll just wait till there's an event in London again. Uh, so he's fighting Takashi Sato, and he's probably going to submit him. So that's cool. Gunnar Nelson, he's the karate and jiu-jitsu guy. Just really fast, intercepting straight punch counters and uh, back takes and guillotines if he gets you hurt. And uh, that, that's, that's going to work against Takashi Sato. He got submitted by... Bilal Mohammed and Miguel Baeza and uh, got stung with an intercepting counter straight by Ben Saunders. Easy fight for Gunny. Yeah, I agree that Gunner should win pretty easily, but of course we would we have to note that he hasn't fought in forever and uh, Sato can land good punches and Gunnar Nelson has a good chin, but he's been hittable throughout his career. So, it, you know, there's room for an upset, but it's Feels like the matchup should trend towards Gunny, assuming that he's in good form. I'm going to say club and sub Gunny in second round. Yeah, it, it is also a late notice for uh, Sato, but not for Gunny. So that's a factor. I believe Gunnar Nelson was supposed to be fighting Claudio Silva. Um, but yeah, I, I think yeah, exactly the same thing. Gunnar's just going to teleport across distance with a right straight, crack him, and then probably finish it with a guillotine or some shit. And he's going to be the Alan Joban fight again, exactly. Uh, Molly McCann's fighting Luana Carolina. Yeah, that's uh, one of multiple weird frame matchups, uh, except this one is more usual for Molly McCann because she normally has to fight people that are really tall and long that she has to get inside on. She's really built her game around boxing up people taller than her so far, uh, or in her recent run. So that's pretty promising for her in the matchup. Luana Carolina's going to have a lot of success in the clinch, I'm sure. Uh, but, you know, if anyone's going to be pressing the grappling, it's probably going to be Molly McCann to wear out Luana Carolina against the fence. And Carolina could kind of dissuade that with clinch offense. So I think I, I think it's going to decision. I'm going to be honest. But, uh, you know, there's, there's hope for a finish. Both fighters are scrappy enough. And uh, neither is defensively potent enough to where I don't expect them to get tagged quite a bit by their opponent. It should be a pretty fun matchup. Yeah, I think Luana Carolina, the fact that she always just wants to be out at long range where she can throw kicks and will concede distance pretty freely without trying to take angles to maintain distance uh, means that Molly McCann should have a 
good bit of success pressuring her, but like you say, she's going to constantly be walking into the clinch where Luana Carolina is quite dangerous and is just going to have a big, like a height and length advantage where she's going to have a lot of leverage to pull Molly McCann down into those knees. So I agree, it's probably going to decision. Uh, I think Molly McCann's probably going to win, uh, uh, but like, like maybe it's a robbery because <laughs> we are having just watched Luana Carolina's fight with Lupi Godinez. It had a real uh, Covington versus RDA vibes where someone's getting smushed up into the cage but then constantly landing hard knees, but the person who's like getting pushed back and, and pushed into the cage is, is losing on the cards. Um, but it, it could be fun. Yeah, I think there's room for Molly McCann to have a really disciplined performance and come away with a like not easy win, but a kind of friction, like without friction. Uh, but Lana Carolina also has a lot of room in the matchup to to find her moments because she she kind of goes for a lot of inter- intercepting knees. She's very tall. She she keeps people at a at a distance the, to the best of her ability, but she's very slow. So I think Molly McCann's probably going to be able to crash into range a lot and find overhands. So I'm actually pretty excited for it. And the next fight is the same fight. <laughs> you can't. <laughs> Just, uh, is it? Yeah, except this time they're athletic. I mean, it's another weird frame matchup. Yeah, Elia Taporia versus Jai Herbert. Uh, Elia Taporia doing it for the Short Kings. A guy who, while he was coming up at Featherweight, we're looking at him going, this guy could be a bantamweight, right? And he's like, no, I can't fucking make featherweight. I'm going to lightweight, which if it works out for him, then fucking good for him. He's fighting Jai Herbert, who stylistically seems like maybe something of a layup, but I just, I got to see Ilya Taporia lightweight. Yeah, it's it's always weird seeing a guy that should, in theory, have the matchup in the bag, but he's so much lighter that it actually it could be more complicated than that. Herbert isn't useless at defending takedowns. He's actually pretty decent at it, and he's been able to like get kind of extended grappling exchanges uh, with better grapplers or better jiu-jitsu players than Tapuria that are also larger, such as Moicano. But he has a very different game than Tapuria. Tapuria should be able to work the body enough and mix in takedowns and then land overhands over Herbert's kind of porous defense. But also Herbert is fucking huge and has a really good like right hand. So the fight could get real dangerous for Tapuria real fast if he he doesn't mind his shit. So it's going to be interesting, but another matchup where we kind of just got to see it to know what happens. Yeah. Um, having seen Taporia struggle with just a really long, fast guy in Yusuf Zalal, like that is cause for concern for fighting a guy like Jai Herbert. It's going to be interesting to see if Ilya Taporia is able to push Jai Herbert back because he's generally, you know, he's very aggressive and will stand his ground. But he is a little bit of a void if you can get him on his back. Uh, we'll, we'll generally just try a bunch of really predictable, explosive ways to stand up the seasoned jiu-jitsu players like Anato Moicano uh, are able to just capitalize on and use to just wear him out. But he's also not useless offensively as a grappler. I had Francisco Trinado's back in a body triangle. Had some decent attempts at a rear naked choke, but you know, Trinado is not the easiest guy in the world to submit. And like you say, he's just really fast and he has a great right hand, you know, given space to set things up, can be pretty creative. Yeah, it's just really, it's like you say, it's just really hard to call how the size dynamic and the physicality is all going to play out in this one. 
who's going to be able to go forward and, and dictate, you know, if if Deporia at least can establish a grappling threat, then that's probably going to make it easier for him to be able to pressure Jai Herbert. But I don't know. This fight's weird. Um, I'd like to see it work out for Ilya Teporia at lightweight, though. I'm always down for people who just don't want to cut weight. Yeah, it's really hard to gauge for Herbert as well because even in his losses so far in the UFC, he's given the guys some trouble whenever he gets his preferred fight. Like Moicano at the end of the first round, he had, he had a decent bit of prolonged success on the feet with Moicano, and he dropped Trinaldo. So even in his losses in, in the UFC, he's, he's done pretty okay. Yeah, and then Carmen Worthy was a guy who he should have knocked out, and he just did. Yeah. He didn't even have to make it look pretty. He just kind of like bombed on him and knocked him out. So I'm excited for this matchup. Uh, Herbert is very live in it. And maybe after the fight, we'll see that Tapuria actually had a terrible matchup against uh, Jai Herbert. That'd be interesting. That'd be fun. Uh, so then headlining the prelims, we've got a, a Grappler's Paradise matchup with Mike Grundy versus Maquin Amakani. And uh, this is basically a mirror match where one guy has way better cardio. That's kind of it, right? Yeah, main difference is Amir Khani normally hunts for the sub in the first round and Grundy's more of like a, a Nick Lentz type where he just kind of wants the fight to keep going and keep wearing you out and, uh, and try and like kind of fuck you up over the course of three rounds. But He's a lot more aggressive about uh, offensive wrestling, though. He, he will hit a ton of takedowns and has a wide variety of different... Uh, he particularly has great timing on his reactive shots. And he, you know, he and he can he can really prolong scrambles and 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 keep getting back to positions against people who are trying to just do like weird shit like grambies and switches to try and try and counter him and and, and get better positions. Um, in Amakani, you know, you you look at him in like the first round of the Lerone Murphy fight, and you're like, damn, if he could fight like this for three rounds, you know, he could be a real problem for for some people. And then you'd see him just get immediately knocked out in the second round of that fight. And it's like, oh, yeah, but he's Maquin Amakani. Uh, yeah. Yeah. This fight has a good chance of being like a standard Maquin Amakani fight where it's, it's like a tale of two fights where he starts out the first round looking very dominant and like he should be able to win easily. And then the second round starts and he'll look terribly tired and they'll probably start jabbing at each other. So I could see this being a split decision where uh, it starts out with. Grundy kind of getting grapple fucked and then as the fight progresses Maquan just gets more and more tired and loses more and more clearly but you know Maquan's handsome so they got to give him the decision I mean I mean Maquan he can be dangerous in the first round and he's pretty sneaky with those front chokes uh if he can get in on get a kind of sloppy entry out of Grundy then maybe he gets an early sub with an anaconda or something but that pretty much seems like his path to victory cuz uh, Grundy's got pretty damn good conditioning and he's pretty consistent and the fights he've lo- he's lost are against guys like Movsar of Luev and Lando Venata who I mean Lando Venata uh, is apparently just a completely bulletproof defensive wrestler and uh, Movsar of Luev you know he had to give up some takedowns to Mike Grundy and make some adjustments to his entries and start really getting his respect on the feet to take the later rounds of that fight but Grundy will stay in there and he'll keep trying so yeah I think um, 
I'm going to say Mike Grundy by a late anaconda choke, just to be really disrespectful to Macklin Amakani. That is fair, just for flavor and to like give credit to Maquan where it's due. I will pick uh, Maquan first round sub, even though I do kind of trend towards thinking he's going to lose as the fight goes along. But he, he like he's he's definitely in the fight. It's not a mismatch, uh, like cardio wise. Just uh, kind of Maquan always is at a massive cardio disadvantage because of how badly he gasses after every first round. And uh, Shmir Labdarakhmov fighting Sergei Pavlovich. Yeah, that's neat. It, it's going to be weird. Shamil got his rust knocked off by Dawkus after a really long layoff. And now it's uh, Pavlovich's turn to get his rust knocked off by Shamil. I'm going to pick Shamil KO1. What about you? <laughs> I mean, yeah, let's go Shamil. I, I don't know. This this could be a fun fight. These are two of the more uh, more of the technical boxer journeyman dudes around this area of the heavyweight division. Could just be a really boring decision. I don't know. Nah, Shamil would never disappoint us. And Pavlovich better not throw any kicks or else he's getting sondered. Yeah, you know that. Um, but anyway, the the real the people's main event. Um, and if I'm not mistaken, Paul Craig's retirement fight. Uh, the man is uh, a treasure to the sport. He's given us so many beautiful moments. He's an absolute king. Um, I know I've uh, been giving the jujitsu nerds a hard time on the podcast recently, but uh, Paul, Paul Craig makes it work. People say you can't pull guard in the modern game. Fucking tell that to Paul Craig. Uh, he's fighting Nikita Krylov. Uh, he's he's going to submit him. What do you think he's going to submit him with? I'm going to pick Paul Craig by triangle choke. Uh, controversial, I know, but brave. <laughs> uh, Nikki Thrill's always really violent, or not always, actually. His recent run, he hasn't been very violent, but hopefully if we get a return to form, it could be a very violent fight leading up to him getting inevitably triangled. Let's go, Paul Craig. Yeah, Nikki Krills was the Nikki Krills was the insane violence karate dude who, for some reason, in his recent run, has become a cowardly wrestler. But he's also been submitted in some pretty silly ways over the years. You know, he's one of the fifty-seven people to get von Flu choked by Ivan Saint Prue. He also got like side naked choked by Yamblahovich. So, I mean, I've been calling for this matchup for a while because it's the perfect canvas for Paul Craig to just pull guard and do some dumb shit if this really is his retirement fight then I don't know good, good for him it's been a fantastic career unironically one of my favorite fighters I agree and uh and Paul Craig is definitely going to have a chance on the feet here because Free Love doesn't have very good defense no and it could end up being kind of a striking battle for at least like lengths of the fight I mean could it Paul Craig's last fight, he didn't even entertain the striking battle. He pulled guard immediately. True. Strategically brilliant by him. I mean, it was literally the play. But I, I don't know if we can rely on, like, Volkanovsky-level strategic thinking from him every fight. Like, pulling guard was just so brilliant there. It's probably the perfect play here, but, you know. I mean, it was genius. He probably wouldn't have been able to take Jamal Hill down, and he definitely would have gotten knocked out if he had stood with him. But also... Jamal Hill was totally just going to like leap into Paul Craig's guard at the first opportunity. So like, it was genius. It worked so easily. 
pulling guard. It just works. And then um, pretty cool uh, matchup in the bantamweight division between uh, two of the premier uh, athletically underpowered technicians, Jack Shaw versus Timor Valiev. Jack Shaw, just another incredibly well-rounded British dude. He's got some good boxing fundamentals, and he's good at taking the back and rear naked choking people. And uh, Timur Valiev is a fighter that we're like weirdly fascinated for some reason, even though he's kind of obscure and not that notable in a lot of regards. Just because his style is kind of so funny, uh, even though he is pretty good. Uh, just like I remember the first time I saw him live, I was like, "Yo, so this guy has either trained." Uh, Mark Henry's or Jackson Wink. Which one was it? And then someone in the voice chat was like, oh, he's trained with both. And just, yeah, because um, he's very offensively dynamic, but it's all just a bunch of switch-ups that don't necessarily build off of each other in any meaningful way beyond just being like, oh, I wouldn't expect this. I wouldn't expect this. I wouldn't expect this. And he'll just do like 17 feints to set up one. Like he'll do, he'll just like pump out a triple jab to do do a hip feint and do a little switch step to shift into like an inside low kick. It's like, bro, sometimes you can just throw the inside low kick. And he has this issue where because he doesn't have a ton of venom on his shots, he just has to run away with these huge bullshit volume leads while he... Uh, slowly gets tired and figured out by power punches. He got knocked out by Trevin Jones and nearly knocked out and should have been 10 8 and probably lost the fight against Tani Barcelos. But Jack Shaw himself is not a big hitter and it seems like that kind of style could be somewhat, could, could be like really kind of annoying for uh, a minimalist like Jack Shaw. Oh, what do you think? I think Jack Shaw's patience is kind of going to bite him in this fight. Uh, Valiev is anything but patient. He he's constantly throwing things, even if they aren't necessarily like hard offense. He's just putting feints out there and always like keeping volume on his opponent. And I think that is going to serve him well in the fight. I, I could see Valiev kind of building up a lead early and then maybe Shore coming on late because Shore does take a little bit to get settled into a fight. It's normally not until the third round that he actually starts sitting down in his punches, for example. Uh, but. I, I think it's pretty exciting. Uh, either guy is going to be hanging around for a while. Jack Shore, probably the one that's going to stay around longest, just by the nature of Valiev's style, kind of getting him hurt more, I think. Yeah, because um, Valiev, his style, it just seems so labor-intensive for a style where he's not really going to be building to much finishes other than you know attritional stuff. You know, There's an argument that that fight against Trevin Jones should have just been stopped in the first round when he was just fucking him up with the body kicks. But also just the really exaggerated movement and, like I say, having to put so much into just setting up single strikes and throwing so much dynamic offense and just constantly jumping around and fainting. Yeah, I I, I do think he's going to just be really annoying for Jack Shaw early and then probably start fading as Jack Shaw is able to take over. So I'm going to pick this fight to be a split decision. I don't know who's going to win. Yeah, I'm going to say split decision, and no matter who gets the decision, it's going to be a robbery. We're keeping positivity here on this podcast. <laughs> it should be a good fight, though. Uh, and Corey McKenna is fighting someone that I don't know who she is. She could surprise us, but it's more likely Corey McKenna is going to get a sub, I think. Yeah, I mean, Corey McKenna on, on the subject of uh, uh, Welsh underpowered technicians. She's She's pretty fun. She had a cool performance, just 
kind of styling on uh, Vanessa Demopoulos on the Contender Series. Showed that she's actually just a pretty well-schooled fighter in, in a, just about every phase, was even like walking Demopoulos into like some sneaky high kicks and stuff at points in that fight. Oh, but she's just absolutely tiny and has no power. But she's cool. Let's go, Corey McKenna. Um, and so that that's like pretty much the whole card. Yeah, if the Mokayev Durden fight is good, we will talk about it next time. If it is not, you will be okay with us not matching it. Yeah, it is unfortunate that uh, just recently I haven't had as much time as I'd like to be able to put into making preparations for the podcast. And you know, of course, everybody's got real life shit to do, and I feel like some of the episodes have been suffering a little bit because I haven't had as much time as I'd like to put into them. But I'm hoping that's going to change soon, and I'm hoping these fights going to be good. This is a kind of weirdly booked card, but it has the the potential to have some meaningful results as well as just uh, a lot of squash matches for British guys fighting at home in front of their friends and family. So that's cool. That's fine. That's what the regional cards are for. And hopefully we'll get some good stuff out of it. Um, you can catch us. You can catch us next week where we're going to be recapping this card as well as previewing uh, some stuff that's happening next week, both a UFC Fight Night card headlined by Curtis Blades versus Chris Dorcas, but that is like by far the worst fight on that card. There's some stuff going on on that card. Um, but also that weekend, there's a one card with some fucking stuff on it. Uh, not only does it have one of the greatest uh, pieces of meme matchmaking of the modern era in Demetrius Johnson versus Rod Tangship Magnong, it's also just got a bunch of actually good fights on it. Should be a pretty packed out episode next week. Should be fun to talk about. As always, if you enjoy this content and all of the other great content that the fight site puts out, please consider supporting them on Patreon. We've got a huge library of really high quality analytical fight content, as well as a great Discord server with a fantastic community. And then uh, all kinds of stuff from there, including scouting reports and personalized content requests. Whatever the fuck you guys need. This has been the Forbidden Technique Podcast. Catch you guys later. Peace. Later. Later.